Welcome to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. All right, welcome to I Communicate. It's good to be here this Thursday. And uh, boy, do I have a treat for our listeners today. This is crazy. Now, we know this is a show about communication and being a more effective and confident communicator in the workplace, meaning, you know, in sales situations, leadership, building teams, motivating people, so on and so forth. And I have an environmental science expert today. And you might be saying, what the heck do you have an environmental science expert on the show for? Well, let me tell you, this guy is so talented that he made himself, he, he adapted to becoming an environmental science expert, and now he's a sales expert. So this guy, I mean, like, who is this multi-talented guy? How to get him on the show? Jim Keel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. You're too kind. You're too kind. So Jim Keel, local guy, Clark University graduate, go Clark, and uh, he is a commercial real estate specialist for Glickman, Covago, and Jacobs in Worcester. And uh, you know, one of the reasons I wanted Jim on the show today is. We're hearing a lot of buzz right now about uh, with all the remote structures and work environments that office space is going to go by the boards and you know what's the future of commercial office space look like so we're going to talk about that and get on the show but Jim before we do that I really want to start about where, where I kind of joked and led I mean you, you go to Clark you're an environmental science major how do you go from environmental science to sales how does that happen yeah it's uh it's a long it's a long trajectory, a long story, Mark. We probably need more than the allotted hour to dissect it all. But, um, you know, really, I I still love science. I, I definitely, um, you know, saw that as my, my path forward. But after getting out of school and trying a couple different things, um, I sort of realized that my skill set would have been would be more effective in a role such as sales and sort of the one that I'm in right now. And, um, you know, spent some time in a hospital, was, was looking for jobs in environmental science. And I sort of Life happens in mysterious ways, and I sort of ended up here, and I couldn't be more more thankful for that. So, Yeah, and so one of the things that really appealed to me, you know, I've been working with Jimmy, and one of the things that appeals to me about him as a human and as a salesperson is he's uh, he really has a drive and passion to be better, and not just better salesperson, better human being, a better professional. And we talk a lot about sales emotional intelligence, uh, Jimmy, and, you know, let's talk about, you know, being a young sales professional right now, what are some of the challenges that you've experienced um, being young? Um, you know, we hear a lot about young people say they're not taken seriously as much because they are young and they allegedly don't know and have the credibility and knowledge yet. So what are some of the challenges you faced and how have you tried to overcome those challenges? Sure. I think breaking into an industry like commercial real estate, it's sort of, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of older generations that are, or people of the older generation that have been doing this for a long time. So one of the challenges that I found is just sort of finding a way to connect with those individuals um, on a personal level. And then, you know, sort of the day-to-day grind of just kind of tailoring. Like we, I mean, we live, it's no secret, we live in a techn- technological world and our industry, I th- you know, now more than ever is driven, you know, through sort of technological channels. And it's sort of like trying to leverage your, your day-to-day activity through, through email, you know, through texting, but also making sure that you pick up the phone and, and call people. You know, I'm a big caller. A lot of people refer to me as an old soul. 
And um, for me, that's one of the, the challenges I found is just sort of like tailoring your sales activity to the recipient of that activity. And a lot of that can vary or the effectiveness of that can vary based on age. Yeah, it's interesting, Jim. You know, you talk about referencing an old soul. You know, one of the one of the trends I'm seeing in sales right now is that calling is back in. And that's because people are so inundated and overwhelmed with the email that are coming in that mm. sometimes people are looking and people are looking to get away from screens, right? They're on screens all the time now. <clears throat> so a call all of a sudden has become a breath of fresh air for a lot of people. And Jim, you and I have talked about it. It really personalizes the connection and the communication between. So you know, a lot of salespeople get get um, intimidated by calls. They don't want to, the rejection. They don't want the cold. Doesn't bother you? No, I, I love calling. I love it. Um, I mean, even just, you know, in talking to my friends, I prefer calling. Just you can get so much more done in such a shorter period of time with a call than you can through the digital communication. And, and it's funny that you mentioned, you know, you bring up just the nervousness around calling because I think that's not only relevant to the professional world, but also just personal um, I think people in general now, just in their own individual lives outside of the workplace, have a harder time sort of just having normal conversations over the phone. And that's just something that I never want to lose. And, and it's something that brings me joy to, to do on a day-to-day basis. So, Jim, when you make those calls, when you begin, let's talk about self-awareness, one of the aspects of emotional intelligence. What do you know going into those calls? It's a two-part question, right? Prior to the calls and during the calls, what do you need to be self-aware of to keep yourself kind of confident and grounded? Well, I guess just a little bit of background on the, the person that you're calling always goes a long way. I mean, it's, you can find so much out about a specific company or, you know, a decision maker, if we're talking to sales context, um, just, just based on what they put on their website and sort of just finding like little things here and there that you can connect on goes a long way. And then throughout the call, just making sure that you're aware of, um, you know, something that they might say that indicates a certain need that they might have that can kind of prolong a conversation and turn things into the, you know, into a, instead of just like, hey, I'm just calling you because I have something I want to offer. It's more of like, hey, how can we help each other and, you know, sort of have a reciprocity um, between parties and just listening to just every once in a while, somebody will give you a, will give you an indication of, you know, a need, whether it's right out the gate or, you know, it's more embedded in what they're saying. Every once in a while, you'll realize that and it'll, it'll generally get you to where you need to go. Jim, when it comes to, you alluded to, we talked earlier about generational communication. There are five different generations in and out of the workplace. Um, you may have to modify your approach in communication to different generations based on preferences. So I'm wondering if you've encountered situations where you feel like either um, directly or indirectly, your credibility has been come into question because of your youthful experience in this profession and if and when that does happen how do you or how have you handled it yeah it's it's certainly happened and and i don't you know i don't blame anybody for questioning the youth of a you know a new guy into the industry versus somebody who's had 15 years experience in the industry but um i think often you know when people find success in an industry like mine they end up you know this and i'm not speaking for for you know all people you know but there are a lot of there are a lot of brokers, for instance, who, after years and years of success, they sort of tend to um, kind of lay back a little bit. Whereas somebody who's fresh into the industry is hungry, and they're the right level of hungry. They'll provide the service that you know somebody who's 15 years down the road might not because. And it's no it's no indictment on them. It's just maybe they're working on bigger deals now because they're well established. They've got more on their plate. 
Um, whereas somebody who just gets in is, is willing to go that extra mile to sort of, you know, get, get it done for the client. Yeah, I think that's a huge point, Jim. I think the hunger aspect is big. And I think there's a second point on top of that. I think what it comes down to is, you know, from a technology point of view, you're probably more likely to be in touch with the latest and greatest ways to find buyers. If, if, if it's someone who's looking for an investment, if it's someone who's selling, then you may have the hunger and you also may be in touch with the innovation and technology to do so, as opposed to someone who's more complacent, who kind of relies on, you know, the old things they used to do and isn't really embracing new technology. So I think it's both, right? Agree. So, Jim, you know, I want to talk about the state of office space for a moment because, you know, so many people have transitioned to work relationships. And one of the trends we've seen in residential real estate is that many people are moving into the suburbs and away from the greater Boston area. And so I remember when I sold my house in Hudson, Hudson and Hopkinton were two of the hottest towns in the area because people are now embracing and accepting that they're going to be working from home for the present and maybe distant future. So when it comes to commercial office space, what is the outlook? I mean, is the fear justified and all people are saying, oh my God, if I own office space, I'm screwed. Or is it, do we need to calm down a little bit and will the trend reverse? I am, I am cautiously optimistic about the, the future of the office space in general. Um, there've been a lot of reports out there that indicate in polls, you know, that indicate that the majority of people who are working from home that would normally work in an office would at least like the option or having the option of going back into the office, which I think sort of speaks volumes in that there's been a lot of data out there that says people working from home are, you know, generally more happy or they're more productive, da 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 da. But um, the the numbers sort of tell a different story in that there's a lot of value in those little interactions that people have around the water cooler in the office space that you just don't get at home. Um, and on top of that, there actually has been a surprisingly number or a surprisingly high number of new leases that have been manufactured over the past few months um, with the vaccinations being rolled out and everything. I, I am definitely optimistic about office space sort of making a big rebound um, over the next six months to the next year. Jim, you know, to build on what you're saying, you know, we've seen co-working space, you know, be a trend over the last several years. It would seem to me, and I haven't researched this, but just intuitively, it would seem to me that because of what you just said, many companies will still want the option. Maybe they don't need five days a week of office space or five days all day, every day of office space, but they still need space that they can share. So do you foresee a big boom in up, you know, an uptick of co-working spaces as one of the trends we'll see in the future? You know, I, I don't. And... The reason being the the co-working space model kind of relies on a few key elements that I don't think are necessarily um, economically savvy. Um, one of them being the fact that they they operate on basically subleases of larger space that, and it's all very short term. Um, so there's just a lot of, you know, rather than, I mean, the, the nice thing about having a, a long-term lease from a landlord and a tenant's perspective is just the stability. Whereas with co-working, you're kind of getting a lot of shuffling around, hmm. a lot of moving pieces and a bit more instability, which I think kind of, you know, ends up playing against the model more so than anything else. Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to go to our first break. When we come back, Jim's going to give his, his secrets to cold calling. <laughs> so in Ted's favorite topic. So for Jim Keogh, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be back after the break.
Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate, and I'm here with uh, Jim Keogh, a commercial real estate specialist with Glickman, Covago, and Jacobs. And uh, if you'd like to call on the show, Jim has pearls of wisdom to share with you. So the number is 508-871-7000. And Ted... What are you doing? I'm right here. You're right not here. on cue. I just said the number. Where are you here? Oh, oh. What's that number? 508-871-7000. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ted. All right. So anyway, uh, we're going to talk about lead generation. And what's funny about this, Jim, and I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but um, I do a lot of private coaching for entrepreneurs and sales executives. But let's focus on the entrepreneur piece because let's face it, Jim, you are an up-and-coming entrepreneur as well. So here's the thing, right, Jimmy, this is what I'll ask him. One of the first questions I'll ever ask him is, talk to me a little bit about your lead generation strategy. Crickets. Like, lead, what do you mean lead generation strategy? I'm like, like how you get new business? And so this to me is a real polar, polarizing topic because there's multiple ways. For those of you who aren't doing sales, we're all salespeople. We've always, we always talk about that on the show. Everybody's a salesperson, Right. But there's so many ways to generate leads. And just to rattle off a few to set Jimmy up here, you've got networking. You've got uh, client calls, you know, past client calls to get referrals. You've got LinkedIn, social media. You've got alumni from school. I mean, the list goes on and on. But then you have cold calling. And, Jimmy, you are one of the few people I've met who not only, you said it earlier, you like the calls. You embrace the calls. And, by the way, Ted, here's something about Jimmy that's pretty cool. Jimmy is so confident and comfortable, not overconfident, by the way, confident and comfortable. He likes to cold walk, right? And well, somebody, trained him, somebody trained him well, because well, <laughs> every time you go on a visit, you got to hit five doors around that visit Yep. and just say, hi, yep. hello, here I am. So now this is pre-COVID. Of course, Jimmy hasn't had any chances to cold walk during the COVID. <laughs> but Jimmy, they didn't give you a mask, buddy? I, I got some extras here. So, so Jimmy, you could, here's my first question for you. You're a confident cold caller and cold walker. I know you believe in it. So you're telling me that you make 50 calls, okay, and you might only get two conversations on those 50 calls. And let's say it took you an hour, an hour and a half to make 50 calls or maybe even two hours. You're telling me that after 30 calls, when no one's picking up the phone and you're leaving voicemails or people are saying, I'm not interested, you're like, that's cool. Next. Is that your mentality? <laughs> Well, no, um, but I would say I would say definitely that you know, like my desire to make another fifty calls after that really depends on the mood. I'm a big believe. I'm also yeah. You know, I'm a big believer in cold calling, but I'm also a big believer in you know making the calls when you're in the right mindset to make the calls. Oh. So if I make fifty calls, I had a few good conversations and I'm feeling good. Yeah, let's make another fifty more. But you know, if I got rejected a bunch of times and I'm just you know I've had it, then. I, I think it's way more effective to come in the next day, you know, uh, brown-eyed and bushy-tailed and make 50, and make 50 calls when I'm in the, the right mindset. Yeah, it's a great point. It's a very uh, mature point. As a matter of fact, um, I mean, it doesn't even have to be the next day. It could be two hours later, four yeah. hours. But, just, but, but Jim, that's, that's huge because self-awareness, right, is, hey, I'm losing my, my, my passion to do this right now because <laughs> the rejection is getting to me. So, Jim, you know that I'm a big fan of um, when it comes to – any kind of calls, cold calls, warm calls. I'm about conversations and not amount of calls. So how do you measure success? And you and I have worked together on this, but 
How do you, when you make those calls, if you were to make 50 calls and I would call you up after and I said, Jimmy, how'd you do? How'd it go? What are your own metrics to say, I did good, I did okay, I did bad? How do you define that? There's a, there's a bunch of different criteria that, that I use, but you know, the, the best, the best call is one where you're, you end up booking an appointment, right? You get to, you get to go meet, meet the person in person, have a discussion about the topic that, that you both want to talk about. Um, and it actually leads to something, you know, constructive and concrete. Um, but that doesn't happen every day. I mean, it, it's the percentage, the percentage of calls where that is the end result is, is very, you know, tiny. Um, so, you know, we, we've developed, you know, these tiered wins where, you know, you don't, maybe you don't end up getting an appointment right out the gate, but Hey, yeah, you, you know, you can call me back in a week and sure, this is definitely, a, you know, a conversation I'd like to have at some point. Let's, um, you know, feel free to keep following up with me or, Oh, I've got plans to, to make this move in a couple months, like, you know, check in, um, things of that nature. Or maybe they said, you know, maybe they said, Oh, we're not really looking at this time. Um, but it actually happened to be a good conversation. It was a good contact. You ended up getting some contact information for them. You stay in touch. And then maybe in a year, who knows, maybe they have a need and you've stayed, you know, top of mind. And that's all because on that one day when you made the call, you kept a positive attitude, you had a nice conversation and things worked out for the better on that one day. So it sounds like, Jim, what you're saying is you're doing a really good job setting expectations for yourself when you make these calls, right? Because if you're, if you're, if you're in sales and you're a cold caller and your only barometer for success is I made an appointment you're going to be upset more often than you're happy, right? It's a dark place. Ted, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I've got to compliment your guest because he used the one word that this is all about. Need. You can close for appointments. You can close for uh, opportunity to call back. You can close for some future requirement, but it comes to need. And... One of the things, I don't know if your generation does it the way we used to. We used to carry a bat with us. You know. Did you walk uphill both ways both to school? Both ways to school, snow? absolutely. Okay, in blizzards, sure. sorry. In blizzards, okay. And, and, you know, if somebody said to me, I'm not interested, I would say, how do you know? Let's focus on whether you have a need or not so I'm not wasting my time. Now, swinging the bat like that requires a certain personality, but it's going to cut through the, <clears throat> what's the polite expression? Um, uh, 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 malarkey. Okay, it's going to get right to the point. Well, so and the, and most people who are CEOs or in a position to write twenty thousand dollar checks are going to be saying, "Oh, he's asking me if I know if I have a need," and they're going to stop and talk to you and have a conversation. So let's let's pick up on exactly what Ted said there, Jimmy. So Ted says, "Someone says I'm not interested," and you say, "How do you know?" right? The key to what Ted said is he's talking about assertive sales behavior, right? Which so many salespeople struggle to be assertive in those situations. So to me, let's do this for our listeners, Jim. That question, how do you know, it all comes down to the tone and how you deliver the question, right? Because you're like, how do you know, right? That's kind of skeptical, like questioning, like, how do you know? So this is why tone is so important in communication. It has to be a curious tone, right? It has to be. <laughs> so you have to have that curious tone. So, hey, I, I re so it would be something like this, Jim. Tell me if you'd be comfortable with this. It'd be like, so I'm not interested. Um, okay, I can respect that. I'm just curious, like, how do you know if you're interested? Because we really haven't talked about, you know, 
right? It has to be kind of a tone like that. And see, part of this is, Jim, when, when you're getting rejected, because Ted's point is so powerful, when you're getting rejected to, to maintain the right tone in word choice after someone's telling you they're not interested and to not personalize it, to make it seem like they're not interested in you as opposed to the product, it's pretty hard, right? It is hard, and it's it's especially hard for me sometimes because I tend to have this this bellowing voice that I, my my parents would always joke with me that I'm way louder than I think I am, and I you know, you know, say things louder than I you know maybe some things people don't want to hear. But um, so for me, it's like having to change that tone on the fly to match the person's right. form of communication is is everything, and um, it's just something that I need to I always am trying to check myself to stay aware of you know, as I go through those, those calls. Well, and that's the self-control aspect of motivation, of emotional intelligence, right? Because you have to recognize, be aware, and then you have to modify, react, or respond differently based on what the person's doing, right? Mm -hmm. All right. When we come back, we're going to pick right up on this and we're going to talk a little bit about um, that need aspect that Ted brought up and, 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 and how, Jimmy, you do a great job vetting out the need from the prospect in situations like that. So for Jim Keough, I am Mark Altman for I Communicate. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. I'm here with Jim Keough, a commercial real estate specialist of Glickman Covago Jacobs. And listen, before I get back into this topic, I just need to tell you guys something. Um, one of my favorite things to do in life is watch comedy. I mean, I love comedians, okay? And my two favorite comedians are Brian Regan and Gary Goldman. Okay, and if you haven't listened to those guys, your life is incomplete. However, I have recently stumbled upon a comedian that's been around for at least the last 10, 15 years. I don't know where this guy's been all my life, but I roll when I listen to this guy. Have either of you ever heard of Sebastian Maniscalco? Yes. Jimmy, you like him? Yeah, he's hilarious. He's hilarious, yeah. right? <laughs> so good. So if you have not listened to Sebastian Maniscalco, stop what you're doing. He talks about mainstream stuff that everybody deals with. And I've been listening the last few weeks, and I, I just roll. It's a perfect way to end the day. Goldman's great, too. He is, right? Yeah, he's awesome. All right, so, Jim, let's get back to, we were talking about, I want to pick up the point Ted, both you and Ted made as we were heading to break. We were talking about the whole thing about establishing need and being assertive. And Ted posed the question, I'm not interested, how do you know? And there's another thing, Jimmy, you and I have talked about in the past, and it's when someone says, and you, you brought it up earlier on the show. If you're talking to someone, we talked about different wins you can get from cold calling. And the person says, yeah, that sounds good. Why don't you give me a call back in a week, a month, or two months, or whatever. And we've talked about even that situation. The assertive question to ask is, what would be different then? Right? So, so Ted, right? If someone says, call me back in a week, a month, six months, are they just putting you off? It just depends. You can tell by the answer to that question. Right, the follow-up question, But you right? have to ask the question. Yeah. So, hey, I'm happy to call you back in one or two months. Um, Let me get back to you. Yeah. But, but you know, what would be different? Like, do you think the reason you're not able to talk now or do you think the, the you know project you're working on? So, Jimmy, when it comes to assertiveness, and this is one of the questions, you know, you have choices to make 
And in sales, there's so many ups and downs. Um, are, are, do you struggle to be assertive? And if so, um, do you notice when you're struggling to be assertive? Yeah, I think that's I think that's a struggle that a lot of a lot of salespeople go through is just knowing. I I I always think back to uh, Bill Belichick's uh, situational football. Almost, it, it I always think of I always think of it as a a situational thing where there are certain there are certain times when being assertive is is everything, and it can get you it can get you to the finish line. But there are also other times where people don't react well to assertiveness, even if it's respectful assertiveness. So every situation is a little bit different, and it's and it's about playing that that situational game of football every day, basically. So I mean, it's tough to de- it's definitely tough to deal with the ups and downs. It's we're all human, right? Um, but if you're not if you're not assertive in the situations where you need to be assertive, then you're never you're never going to achieve what you need to. Um, let me, in the spirit of the question, what's going to be different then? If you're assertive with someone and they push back and you don't push back, you're never going to see them again. That's number one. Number two, I, I, I just got to know, if this person is never going to want to do business with you, why would you waste one of your 100 phone calls on that person again ever in the future? So, I mean, that's, that's where I come from. I, you know, I love the sound of the flushing toilet. Because it reminds me of all of the calls I've made that I'll never have to make again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more with that, Ted. Because they're they're simply just you know there are some parties that just don't want to have the conversation at all. They don't want. They're not interested. They'll never be interested. And you know why would you why would you spin your wheels trying to contact that person again when you could redirect that energy, time, effort to you know the next lead that that may you know have an interest in in doing business with you. So. Um, Gary V talks about it a lot. I'm not, I'm not a huge Gary V guy. Mm-hmm. I follow him. Um, I, you know, I like him. I like what he has to say, but he's a, he's a big, big believer and supporter and just don't waste your time on, on the people who don't want to have zero interest. And you know that pretty quickly. <laughs> now, Jim, now that's a sort of, that's a, no, but I want to now, now see Ted and I, Jim, in the past, we, we playfully argue about word choice and, and Ted just said something that's a prime example where I agree with what he's suggesting, but it's the way he phrased it I don't like, okay? And what it is is he talked about the phrase push back. And see, that phrase is exactly what gets in the way of salespeople because that's aggressive. Push back ties in with an aggressive behavior. He didn't mean it aggressively. He meant it assertively. But these are the words we get hung up on in sales of I don't want to do sales because I don't want to be pushy and aggressive. Well, you don't have to be pushy and aggressive to do sales. You can be assertive. And so when Ted says push back, you know what he really means is, you know, push back by asking a question with the right tone and the right word choice, right? Yeah, and I and just piggybacking off of that, I think it's now it's it's more important now more than ever um, to make sure that the you know you could have a specific intent in intent like Ted didn't mean you know, anything aggressive by saying that, but we're kind of, you know, the time we're living right now, impact is is starting to become a bit more important than intent. So we just keep it, you know, staying mindful of while you may not intend to hurt somebody's feelings, um, there's, there's a huge priority on that right now. So, yeah, well, that's a perfect segue, Jim. Let's talk about um, capturing a person's attention, right? Because right now there is so much noise in society coming from multiple directions. 
So talk to me a little bit about, talk to our audience a little bit of when you, let's, let's talk about written communication for a minute. What are some things you've employed that when you actually send written communication via email, via LinkedIn, that you're like, hey, here's my strategy to capture people's attention, knowing they're getting a thousand messages a day. Yeah, keep it simple. It, yeah, I had a uh, I had a teacher in high school. Her name was Mrs. LePayne. Shout out Mrs. LePayne. Um, I had her for AP government, and she taught me. She taught our class um, the three C's of writing: clear, concise, and cogent. And that's a lesson that I've sort of tried to carry into the working world. And maybe I'm not always consciously aware that I'm trying to do that, but um, keep it, you know, keeping it simple. There's, like you said, in an age where we're just constantly being barraged with information at a rapid rate. Um, if you want to get your message across, it's important to, to keep it simple, keep it short, but to the point, and, you know, make sure that there's a lot of value in those two, three sentences that you put out there. So Jim, I've got some bad news. Normally, cogent would be a word of the day candidate because it's such a great <laughs> word. But unfortunately, our audience missed. Ted used the word surreptitiously. That's in right. between breaks. And that's really got to beat out cogent. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, surreptitiously. Okay, Jim. So, but I want to, I want to build on that because you told me a story yesterday and this so impressed me. And the irony of this story, and I want you to convey briefly to the audience is, you know, empathy is one of the primary tools in emotional intelligence and sales. And you were telling me a story and I was hard on you initially at first because I didn't know the full story but if you could just kind of paraphrase, you know, you I know, and I'll set it up for you. You know, I know you had a customer that had found out they had some medical issues, but but could you share with the audience kind of the written communication you conveyed to show your empathy and show your caring of this customer? Because I thought this was a high level a thing you did as well. Yeah, and I uh, it's funny because when I tried to paraphrase it to you, I did a horrible job of conveying the actual message that I sent. And then I read the email. You said oh, that's a lot better, but. Um, you know, just, hey, I'm sorry to hear that. I hope everything's okay. And, you know, please let us know if there's anything we can do to help, you know, even outside of the, the real estate stuff. I mean, just personally is, you know, is there anything that we can do to help you through this? And, you know, I hope it turns out in your favor. And uh, luckily it did. So everything's okay. So I just want to tell our listeners, because uh, Jim was being humble there. I just want to make the point that what he actually did is he put his own needs aside he, he's in the middle of a deal. He wants to make the deal like every other salesperson on the planet. But then something came up unexpectedly to hold up the deal. The guy is having some medical issues. So Jim put his need to make a deal aside, and he, he genuinely showed caring and, and empathy for the guy and reached out. A lot of you might be listening to the show like, yeah, so what? I do that too. Well, maybe. But what Jimmy didn't do is he didn't bring up the deal in the communication, and he just made himself available and supportive in what the person needed. And I think, Jim, you know, one of the things that I've seen as one of your big, biggest assets, and, I, and I'd love to pick your brain on this, is, you know, we are greatly affected. The way we communicate, the way we lead is greatly affected by the culture we grow up in. It's affected by our boss and our workplace culture. Talk a little bit about some of the ways you've adapted your style and your personality that may be inconsistent with the, the parenting and the workplace culture you grew up with. Boy, that's a tough question. Um, no softballs here, and I communicate. That. <laughs> that's a tough question. I would, I would say that, I would say that. Um, well, for one, I have a really, I have a strong family unit. So I've, you know, I, I mean, I'm forever grateful for that. Um, loving parents. Great job, mom and dad. Good job. Great job. Great job, mom. I love you both. Um, and you know, I love you know, my sister. I love her too. It's it, 
my sister and you know and my parents were just a we're just a tight family um and my mom was always teaching me from a young age to to be nice to everybody and obviously that's i try and you know i obviously treat everybody with the same level of respect but once you get into the the industry that i'm in um obviously you treat everybody with respect but there are times where you can't be textbook nice you have like you know like ted was saying you have to push back a little bit so um that's something that I would say that's probably the most inconsistent part was I had to learn that later on in life to sort of, you know, just be a bit more assertive as we've been talking about throughout the whole show. Um, that wasn't something that came so naturally naturally to me. And that's, you know, a credit to my parents just being nice people themselves. Okay, so when we come back for our final segment, what we're going to talk about is we all know we're supposed to be nice, right? But I'm going to tell you the single biggest key to executing niceness when we come back for our last segment. For Jim Keough, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. And I just need to tell our listeners, uh, Jim Keough, this is his first time on the radio. And for a guy who's never been on the radio before, I'm afraid he's going to take my job, Ted. Like, the, the guy's excelling at all levels here. Like, is my job in jeopardy or what? Um, well, I'll be giving him my phone number before he leaves. <laughs> I don't know if that's the kind of phone number he's looking for, but I'm that's <laughs> but I digress. Okay. In any event, so I promised heading into this last segment I would talk about the single biggest key for executing niceness. And what is is slowing down enough to remember to be nice. And and you know, we talked in the last segment about the story of the 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 prospect that was having some medical issues, and Jim slowed down enough to be nice. And people might be like, Well, what do you mean slow down? What I mean is we're going so fast all day, every day attending meetings, making calls, having conversations, doing tasks, doing projects, doing busy work, that there are certain things that are so obvious that we don't slow down enough to remember to do. And so I think when your mother said, it's important to be nice to everyone, your biggest challenge is you know that to be true now. She ingrained that in you, but now it's up to you to remember to slow down enough to, to take the time to do it. Because that's really what it can. Time's our biggest enemy to everything right now. So I want to I go back to, um, we talked about lead generation earlier in the show, and I have to ask you, Tim, or t- Tim, <laughs> is it Friday, Ted? I've got the Twilight Zone sound effect Seriously. over here. Would you like me to? At least I have the second two letters of his name right now. All right, Jim, so I have to ask you, I want to talk to you about social media and LinkedIn a little bit. You know, we talked about cold calling, and I want to ask you, to me, LinkedIn is the most important social media channel for you. It's the most valuable for you to leverage relationships and build as a young professional who hasn't built up, you know, thousands of contacts yet. Is it a struggle to really leverage LinkedIn the way you'd like? And and what have you done to adapt to that? So I think, uh, so personally, I I do have a, I have a lot of contacts, but I think if I have a lot of connections, I should say, but I think if there's- Good differentiator right there. Yeah, (laughs) right. Well done. I think if there's if there's one tip I could give Everybody is just to start early on LinkedIn now that, I mean, when I was in college, it was sort of starting to become more and more prominent and useful as a, as a tool. But I would just say definitely start building that network 
early when like when you're in school and you're, you've kind of started to figure out where your professional path might take you. Um, I think the the most challenging part about leveraging LinkedIn is once you get to a certain point, you just have so many you have so many connections that a lot of them are. I don't want to say worthless, but they're just. Well, you not... don't remember why you connected with them in the first place. Ex- exactly. Yeah. yeah, and and you know you know that there's no you don't even know their names. Some of them you're like who's this person and it you know and maybe three years ago there was some sort of synergy there where um, the person thought to reach out, you thought to reach out, but um lever- but you know I I kind of view I view a lot of social media as a necessary evil in that I don't like like to spend a lot of time on it per se, but I I understand how it's a useful tool to get you where you need to go. Um, so I but. I, to answer your question, I definitely think that the most challenging part of leveraging LinkedIn is just finding the right contacts in your network to sort of, you know, make different plays based on, you know, what you're hoping to achieve. Yeah, Jim, I, I actually think one of the challenges, and I don't think it's I don't think it's a generational thing. I think all generations struggle with this. It's in sales, when you're reaching out to leads, you have a very specific agenda in mind. In your business in commercial real estate, I'm calling because I have a listing. I'm calling because I have an investment opportunity. I'm calling because you wanted to sell and I may have a buyer. It's very cut and dry, the purpose of the call. But with LinkedIn, when you have contacts or connections, it's not always clear because you don't know what their interest would be and how they could help. And I think to me, Jim, that's the biggest deterrent for people when they're using social media channels such as LinkedIn. If you reach out to John Smith on LinkedIn and let's just pretend John Smith is, let, let's go doctor. Let's say John Smith is a doctor. You're like, why the heck would I reach out to John Smith? He's a doctor. Well, we don't have any idea of John Smith's interest in investing in commercial real estate. I mean, maybe because he makes so much money or she makes so much money, they would like to invest in commercial real estate. But I do think, Jim, that's one of the biggest struggles is there's not a clear path in many cases when you're making those reach outs on LinkedIn. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. I mean, just to go off of that example too, I mean, you also don't know what sorts of patients John Smith is dealing with that would have an interest in investing in Now we're getting into HIPAA laws, of course. He can't can't disclose, you know, the kind of conversations that he has with his patients. But uh, you never, you just never know. That's why we all, you know, whenever I talk about um, referrals with with my friends or whoever, um, some of the best refer the the channel referral partners are the barbers or you know just people that see others all the time and are always there. It's like their job is to cut hair, but they're also having conversations. They have the ins, the bartenders, people like that. Um, so it's always just like trying, I guess, just trying to find that creative way of communicating with people and, and, you know, often through indirect channels. Jim, for the people you serve, if I'm, let's take, um, I'm an investor and I want to invest in some office space. What are some quick tips you could give someone who already is an existing investor or who's considering getting an investment? Like, what are some tips you would advise that if you were serving them as the broker and you were working with them, that you would say, hey, these are the top things I would keep in mind based on where we are today? Definitely make sure you have a strong lease in place. I mean, if, if you're talking about an investment property in particular, an office investor, you have to make sure that those leases are rock solid. Um, you know, I have, I've been working with a buyer lately um, at a high level, you know, he's looking for some, some government investment properties throughout the country. Um, and a lot of the opportunities that we've, you know, that have been in front of us or put in front of us, they seem to be really great. But then once we get into the actual, you know, language of the lease, there's all these, there's all these problems. You know, there's termination clauses. There's, um, there aren't, you know, annual escalations in the rent. There's, there's just issues. So I think if I can make one suggestion to an investment 
uh, or to an investor looking for an investment property, specifically an office, is definitely make sure that those leases are rock solid and they protect you as the landlord um, more than they protect the tenant as the tenant. That makes right. sense. It does. Uh, one last thought, Jim, today in, in our final uh, thing is I want to talk about um, reactive versus proactive. And um, as, a, as a past graduate from Clark who's been in the professional realm for a few years now, um, when it comes to reactive habits and behaviors as opposed to proactive habits and behaviors, what's some advice you could give uh, young people who may be reactive in how they plan their day and that some transitions you've made to be more proactive? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting conundrum because when you're first starting out in a new business, especially like commercial real estate, you know, you're just learning all the time. That's all you're doing is learning. And, you know, you're getting, you're getting helped out a little bit here and there. And, you're, and, you're, it's, and it's so easy to lose, to lose track of time six months later because six months later, you've built up some book, you know, small book of business. You're starting to work some deals and people are coming to you with their needs and out of nowhere, it can it can get a little out of control with the way you manage your time. So something I've done is I've just started planning on my days before the days happen. And it's made all the difference. Whereas, some, you know, when I was first starting out and I was, you know, still learning, I would have an idea of what I was going to do and I'd block out, you know, specific periods of time. Um, but things come up every once in a while that you have to deal with. And it's about prioritization and time management ultimately. Jim, how long does it take you to plan your day? 10 minutes. 10 minutes, everybody. What a thought, planning the P's. He talked about the C's earlier, planning, preparation. So, Jim, attend- Jim. Wait, Jim, do you write that plan down? All the time. Yeah, so so t- to me, it's such a simple tip, but sometimes the best pieces of advice like Jim just gave, it don't have, doesn't have to be complex. It can be simple, and sometimes they're better when they're simple. So Make a plan and write it down. Right. And, and I think just to have the confidence to do it is huge, too. It is. Jim Keogh, you're the best, man. You're welcome back to I Communicate Anytime. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Mark, and thanks, Ted. All right, Ted, as usual, amazing job being versatile in producing and contributing. Um, For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll see you next time. listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.